0: Well David, thank you so much for sitting down with me for um, such uh, an important conversation i I'm really honored you'd take some time to spend with me today i I think I've shared with you that um, in our church we've been in a series called I Will Build my Church where we've been trying to get inside of the mind of the architect of the church, Jesus our Lord and really look at the church from his perspective, his heart. And we're at a place in our series where, we're, where we've come to this beautiful theme of Christ's vision for ethnic diversity in the church and all of the joys of that, but also the challenges and and really, you know, how, how sin has sort of corrupted and, and caused division in our world and even sometimes in our churches. And so I thought... You and I have had some really wonderful conversations. You've been so gracious to spend time with me and We've have lunch with me. We've got to get and encourage great. me. Yeah. And I love your heart as a pastor and just how much you've thought about such important issues and how the gospel comes to bear on all this. So, And we share a common connection to the Covenant Church. Mm-hmm. You pastor of yeah. Covenant Church. I was raised in the Covenant Church. And so, yeah, just your wisdom and your heart for this, I thought, what, an, what a great thing to do, but to sit with you and just have a conversation around some of these important issues of racial injustice and how the gospel kind of speaks into that. So thank you. And I thought, first of all, the church, um, River West Church, many of them don't know you, so maybe take a minute and just tell us a little bit about your background, your story. You're, you're not an Oregonian, correct? You weren't correct. raised in Oregon. so East yeah. Coast, New East, York. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, it's,
1: you know, it's really, really good to be here, and yeah. the thing that's so nice about you and I talking today is that you and I have had several conversations, and we've had lunch, and we've talked to each other, so it's really an outgrowth of that, and I think that's the way we have to do it when we talk about the issue of race. We've got to get to know each other, care Amen. about each other. Amen. But yes, I was born and raised in New York City, yeah. and the part of New York I was in was the Bronx, and New York has five boroughs, or five subsets. And the Bronx, uh, even to this day, is probably one of the poorest sections of the city. Uh, so, and the place that we lived in was called Stebbins Avenue, South Bronx. It was actually, statistically, the worst in uh, thefts, uh, drug, drug addiction, uh, overall crime, even murder. Uh, just all kind of bad stuff was going on in our neighborhood. And the thing that was neat was my dad was a pastor And he protected us from a lot that was going on. Um, I actually was in a family of eight children, believe it or not. And uh, so it was a bad neighborhood. So born and raised there, uh, left New York when I was uh, 15 years old and from New York we moved to Seattle Mm -hmm. and then stayed in Seattle for several years and then from Seattle moved down to Portland. So it's been an interesting trek, but those formative years in New York had a profound effect on me in the area of race, because my neighborhood was 99.9% black. The only white people I came in contact with were teachers from school uh, and policemen, and that was it. My whole world was basically African-American.
0: Wow. And you shared with me some of your stories and experiences with racism and would you, would you be willing to share a little bit about some of those experiences and how that impacted you as a young man? And sure, um, I, was, I was actually what you would call an angry black man because the,
1: unfortunately, the police in my community treated young black men very harshly. Uh, they would arrest them, they would profile them, uh, even for things that they weren't necessarily doing wrong. Like for example, when we would drive even down to Philadelphia, because I had cousins in Philly, and my dad was a preacher, and he'd even preach in Philly. Sometimes, as young people, we'd go by ourselves, and I'd go with my older brother, whatever. The police readily, regularly stopped us just going from New York to Philly, which was a 90 minute drive, and they would profile us, and they would say, Or well, you're speeding, or you're doing something else. And because we were basically Christian young men, we weren't speeding, we weren't doing anything wrong, stopped us and said, Oh, yeah, you were speeding, and uh, your ticket is X amount and oh, by the way, you have to pay cash because we usually go on the weekend. And if you didn't pay them cash, then they would lock you up and you have to stay in jail over the weekend. So it was a running line when you go out of town, take extra cash to basically pay off the bribe that the police officers were doing. So that was happening. Another thing that was happening was we saw police officers uh, harass and arrest young black males. And I saw it myself. And so I started to get an anger and even a hatred for white people because those were the main white people I was seeing and then at age 12 I gave my heart to the Lord and rededicated at age 18 were it not for the gospel I would actually be probably one of these radical demonstrators you see in some cities but the gospel was what changed me but yes I did see racism in that setting and then after I moved to Seattle I saw it some more.
0: Mm. Wow. So you had, I think you shared with me, you had a pretty positive experience in your church in Seattle and maybe was that even what led you into ministry? Talk a little bit about that church in Seattle and some of the experiences there. Sure. Was your dad the pastor of that church? My dad was the pastor there. Okay. So he had pastored in New York
1: and then he had a friend on the West Coast that told him about this church that was looking, they were actually looking for a black pastor because the neighborhood was changing in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted specifically a black pastor for the church. So they. invited him to come out and candidate and he got the assignment. Uh, but he and one other member were the only black people in the church. And so it was a predominantly white church. And um, it was an interesting experience because it got us out of the city and I got a chance to experience, hadn't done a lot of traveling up until then got us to see the beauty of the Northwest. One of the members in the church had a boat and took us out uh, water skiing, never done that. (laughs) Went on a lot of hikes and stuff like that. So really enjoyed it. Uh, But there were a few members that blatantly uh, told my dad that they were opposed to him coming and they actually did not like black people. And one guy in particular, he wouldn't have anything to do with us. He made it known his wife was the dearest person and she just used to always apologize for her husband But um, it was an interesting thing. So we just stayed away from him. Um, But the one issue that I did see as a young young man coming up is the white fathers in the church that had young teenage girls did not want me and my brother to associate with their daughters. And you could see that. And they were so demonstrative about it that after the service ended and kids would be talking, he would actually stand in the conversation with his daughter as they were talking to me. And he would do it every Sunday and was basically wow. making a statement that you can see him at church, you can be friendly, but there will be no dating at all. And I wow. found that very interesting. And so yeah. when I saw that opposition, I just you know, backed away because you know, I yeah. didn't really pursue it. So it was kind of interesting. But the one guy who was, a, who was, who was an overt racist, uh, fast forward 20 years, he's on his deathbed, called for my dad and asked him to please come to the hospital oh my and gosh. he got some illness and my dad, and the day he was getting um, close to death my dad said he's called for me and david i want you to go with me and i was like a freshman at university of washington oh, wow. i had just graduated high school and i said why do you want me to go he says i want you to come he just that's all he said so i went with him and the guy with tears in his eyes said to my dad i'm sorry for how horrible I treated you. Mm -hmm. Please forgive me. I was totally wrong. And he's crying as he's saying this. And my dad, he starts to break down and he starts to cry. And my dad said, I forgive you. Wow. And he said, thank you. My dad's name is Ralph. He said, thank you, Ralph. Thank you for forgiving me. And the man died like two days later. So that had a profound effect on me that the gospel of of Jesus Christ and forgiveness was able to bring back what was taken initially in terms of relationship.
0: You've told me a lot about your church, Tiger Covenant Church, and um, it's really wonderful to hear your, about your ministry, and you've described it as a pretty diverse church, and especially in a community like Tiger, your church is more diverse than the community that you serve in, and... We're in our series we're talking about both the kind of the joys but also some of the challenges of ethnic diversity. And so what what has that been like to pastor um, a church with with quite a bit of diversity? What have been the joys and what have been the challenges? Well that? it was interesting
1: when I first came I've been at the church almost sixteen years now. And when I first came to the church, some of the stats that my dad experienced. Okay. Uh, it was predominantly, predominantly white. Okay. And it was myself and just one other person that was a person of color when I first came. Now the church is 60% white and 40% people of color. So I attracted probably some people of color from, from Tigard and from the West Side and even from Portland side. Um, so that started to happen. Um, and I think as we started to deal with issues of multiculturalism and try to hear each other's story, some like that and some didn't. Some didn't like it and moved on. The ones that loved it stayed on. Um, But um, the thing that was a joy for me was that over time, we got to deal with real issues of race and had a history of doing that over the years because we would talk about it in our small group Bible studies. We would talk about it in our men's breakfast. We've had some profound men's breakfast experience. I remember specifically one men's breakfast, there were eight white guys there and there were eight black guys there. And it was right after, not the recent killing with George Floyd, but it, this was a few years prior, another unarmed black person had been killed. And so the black guys in that room were angry. Yeah, And the white guys in the room were trying to understand. And we, we, we used the scripture as a source of healing and as a source of the answer for racism and said that it's the gospel that can change the human heart so people who are racist or do inappropriate or definitely wrong things can have their heart changed in the inside out so that we can then even start to talk about issues of race and then that would stop the killing of unarmed black people you know people that commit crime need to be apprehended but what was causing us anger at that moment was that this person was unarmed unarmed and killed again. And would that same measure of justice been given to an unarmed white person? And that's been the cry of many right. African Americans. They're saying, wait a minute, there's a dual standard of justice. And so, anyhow, so in our church, we dealt with that tough discussion that day. And out of it, we had other subsequent discussions that we then had with the entire church. We did a seminar on race that us and about seven other churches did. Powerful time of hearing wow. stories talking, understanding about what can we do to be reconciled one to another.
0: Wow. I love that. So good. Uh, the other thing we've talked about, you, you and I share a passion for evangelism. And I, and I love in our conversations, we've talked so much about how anytime we're talking about something like justice or, or addressing racism, we're really talking about an evangelism opportunity, an opportunity to bring the gospel to bear on something that is causing hurt in our world. Um, talk about that a little bit. Like, how do you connect sort of the gospel and evangelism to the issue of, um, you know, racial injustice and working for reconciliation in the world?
1: You no, know, that's a great question, Adam. And I think that in the world, in the secular world, you've seen people try to handle that question and I don't think they successfully have handled it. You can legislate race relations, you can even educate and have seminars and have degrees in it, in secular institutions, but at the end of the day, you're gonna have a person whose heart has been corrupted by sin, still go back out. You can take a pig out of the mud, clean him up, And what's that pig gonna do? He's gonna go right back back. into the mud. That's his tendency. So you can clean people up with a good seminar, with a good education. I remember doing uh, racial equity discussions at work. I have not been a pastor all my life. I was actually an underwriter in the insurance field and was a manager before I then transitioned into pastoral work. And I remember us doing seminars on race. And this one seminar comes to my mind to answer your question we had just spent three days talking about inclusion and equity and being respectful of people of different races. And one and I was a supervisor one of the other supervisors, he, you know, I'm very friendly, I get along with people. He came up and told me a joke. It was just two, it was just me and two other people. So he was in a small group and he told me a joke and used the N word in the joke. This was right after we sat had an equity and the man's heart wow. just was not good. And he knew I was a believer, so I think he felt like maybe he could trust saying anything he wanted because I'm not going to report him kind of thing. But over time, I still tried to model to him what the love of Christ was. And in the end, it's the gospel of Christ that can change the human heart. And so that's what has really been on my heart through a lot of the discussions that we're even having now about the George Floyd incident with him being killed with the knee on his Neck, the whole discussion with uh, Breonna Taylor and other people, Arbery. Arbery, all the people that have died and people are upset about it. Both sides are white people are upset, right. black people are upset. Everybody's upset and everybody's going, what's the answer? What can we do? And I think in the church right now, we are poised at them. Absolutely. Poise and position we to be the, the answer. We, we got have the, the power. power. And if we will allow our differences, maybe they're political differences, maybe they're geographical differences. I was born on the East Coast, you were born on the West Coast. I was in the South, you were in the North. Um, I, I was in a rural situation, you're in the urban. There's a lot of things that could easily divide us. And if we will get back to our roots, of allowing the love of Christ, think about it, the love of Christ changed my heart. I used to hate white people because of what I saw uh, uh, the white police officers do to black people. And it wasn't until I asked Christ to come into my life that that hatred started to subside. didn't go overnight, but as I kept reading the word, being around other believers, here I am going to a church with my father where there were white people, and I started loving those people because of the
0: transformed love of Christ
1: that was in my heart
0: amen and we've talked one of the one of the greatest conversations you and I had was just about this you know we 've both heard people say, well, if you just preach the gospel, racism will go away, but that we we don't it's funny we don't say that about any other sin we know that yes, we preach the gospel, but also we work the gospel into people's lives. It's the whole process of sanctification. Yes. Like yes. just because I hear the gospel doesn't mean I immediately stop struggling with yes. pride or gluttony yes. or temptations. Yes. And yes. so the gospel needs to be worked into these yes. deep issues. Yes. We we in in the Christian faith, we have indwelling sin as yes. a as a category. And yes. we know racism is it's very insidious. It hides in there. Mm. And so we need to constantly bring the gospel to bear. and What a privilege we have in the church. Because yes. I love how you said that. We actually have the source of power yes. for grace yes. and healing and forgiveness. Yes. And it's all about evangelism, making Jesus look glorious right. in right. our world. Right. And the
1: same sensitivity we bring to people that have other issues. If you, if you knew a person was dealing with... Um, depression and had some suicidal thoughts, or if you knew a person that had been abused, you would come at them, you and I would both come at them with such tenderness, such sensitivity. We'd be asking questions like, what are some of the triggers for you that help you to go into a a more negative way? And you would say, how can I assist you and be more proactive in listening to your story and making sure I address you appropriately going forward? And that's the same thing we need to do with the subject of race. As we come to the table of discussion, person a black person a white person, a yeah. Latino or whatever the, their race is, and as we just simply ask the question, lower our own guard, not try to defend ourselves and say, well, I didn't do that. My forefathers were slave owners, that wasn't me. And, and, and instead of doing other things, just simply saying, what can I do?
0: What can I do?
1: I'm sorry for what I have done that hasn't been helpful. Mm. And I wanna make amends. And the key thing is hanging in there hanging. in a relationship. I think mm-hmm. if we just try to do race reconciliation from afar, we take a seminar, we hear this discussion today, and that's all we do. It's not enough. We it's have to. It's got to be about an ongoing, ongoing. relationship, building relationships with people.
0: I love that. You know, one one of the things that I think is happening in in our community is that a lot of people in our community here who are part of the majority culture mm-hmm. are really waking up in a lot of ways to sort of the hurt that so many people of color have felt, mm-hmm. particularly our brothers and sisters in the black community, and waking up to the history of racism and how that has impacted where we are today. And a lot of people are are, are genuinely saying, I want to stay engaged, but also I want to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say? What would you, you know, speak to, um, speak to the white Christians at River West about, like, what, you know, as people want to be engaged, what, what kinds of things are helpful? And maybe what, what are some things that are not as helpful? Maybe you have even some personal experiences with that. But I would say
1: the things that would be helpful is to be intentional about building relationships, just mention it, uh, to, to be intentional about learning about the problems that have been historical, let's say in Oregon and the United States at large, how has the initial act of slavery, while it was several hundred years ago, how is it still impacting people of color today? And what can we do as a larger society to combat that? When you look at the disparity between home ownership, the disparity between the numbers of blacks that are in prison versus the number of whites. There are more whites in prison, but per capita capita. and percentage-wise, there are way more blacks. So why are more blacks in prison? Why are more blacks unemployed? Why are more blacks percenta capitalized in poverty? Why are more blacks have poor education? So I think as we try to understand the underlying causes and then say, what can I do? We can learn and then as Christians, we have now an extra burden I use that even the largest secular society doesn't have because I don't think they get it. As Christians, we have to be the change agents. Yeah. Bear, we one have to bear one another's burden. We have to be the Paul Revere. Paul Revere said the British are coming. We need to say, Jesus is here and he has compelled me to make change when I see injustice. I'm not going to be like the Samaritan, Good Samaritan parable and look the other way. I'm going to reach down, lift a brother or sister up, and I'm going to provide for their well being. And that means it's messy. Getting your hands dirty, getting into these tough discussions where people are angry, but saying, I care enough that I'm willing to go the extra mile to educate myself, to read good books. And here's the key thing to allow the Holy Spirit to make pathways of connections and relationships with people of another race. And ask yourself the question yes, we may be in a predominantly white state, but God has brought enough people in this state, either here or elsewhere, that you can connect with. And that you're intentional about inviting them into your life. Invite them to your home for dinner. Build a relationship. Let your children see you right. with a relationship of a person of and another humble race. humble
0: listening, right? Modeling that. I love that you talked about learning the history. Like there are reasons why Oregon is so predominantly white. We have mm-hmm. quite a bit of racism in our history as a state. Mm-hmm. That there's an explanation for this. And right. so for people for those of us in the majority of culture to learn and listen with humility and say, I want to understand this so I can be empathetic. Right. That's really good. So let's talk about something non-controversial. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Because everyone's talking about it. Okay. And,
0: and everyone's talking about it and I want to talk about it. But um, this is one of those topics where I feel like, man, if there's a topic where people talk past each other, right, right, it's this one. Right. And so but you and i have already had some great conversations right. about it so you know how do you th- how do you think about that we have so we have black lives matter just the statement mm-hmm. you know which we've talked about that's like a that jesus that's a mm-hmm. jesus statement mm-hmm. i mean jesus mm-hmm. would say that mm-hmm. and then we have black lives matter the political movement mm-hmm. um, how have you thought about that how, or how do you talk about that as a mm-hmm. pastor
1: I think the fact that the statement got coined, and it got coined by two black women, and they themselves started a movement, an organization, and their agenda is different from the actual statement itself. And so Mm -hmm. I don't personally, Um, support the movement Black Lives Matter, but I do support the statement Black Lives Matter, because you just said it. Amen. It would be something that Jesus himself would say. It's a Christian worldview statement. It's a Christian worldview statement. (laughs) Black lives matter, white lives matter, Asian lives matter, Latino lives matter. So all lives matter. But the fact that you want to say Black Lives Matter particularly needs to be stated because it didn't matter for some people who were racist. It didn't matter for the larger culture with the institutionalized and structural systems of racism that have been in place and are still in place. But again, the Christian person, the person who's on fire with the presence of the Holy Spirit can say, you know what? I'm going out there. Think about it this way. Jesus, when he saw the woman at the well, her life mattered. She was a person of another race and another religion. Her life mattered. And he was intentional, sent his disciples into town to get some food. He made a one-on-one appointment with her because her life mattered. And then the same Jesus tells the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan where the person who was bruised and beat up, his life mattered. So Jesus has given us so many examples of the statement that all lives matter, but in particular, the lives that have been forgotten about do matter. And if we can do that statement to help the person who's down. And who's beaten and bruised, mm-hmm. and who's being committed a racist act. You know, the average white person doesn't know what it feels like, particularly in Oregon, to be profiled and stopped by the police. I can't tell you how many times that I've been stopped by a police officer. Yeah, I no- I'm, I'm an executive with an insurance company. Yeah. I'm, You're
0: a pastor now. <laughs> I'm a pastor
1: now, but at the I time. I didn't even
0: know what that was. I was an
1: executive like. driving a nice company car, <laughs> oh. a brand new car, and I was in my community profiled. in Northeast Portland. Right. And the police officer, she pulled me over, and I said, excuse me, uh, officer, why am I being pulled over? She goes, well, I looked at your plates, and your tabs show that this car is, is owned by some company.
0: It's the company I work
1: for. <laughs> <laughs> so Anna, I pulled out my business card, and it said, David Greenidge, oh. vice president of marketing. Mm. And I said, I work for this company. Here's my license to prove it. And she literally, Adam, ran away from the car. She ran back to her car. Wow. She goes, I'm so sorry. I'm so
0: sorry. And she ran back to her car.
1: So like a black man with a nice car can't be driving this
0: car. And we have to hear these stories because, you know, that's unbelievable. I know. I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And this is where it's so unhelpful. We've talked about this. It's so unhelpful when people in the majority culture, when they hear Black Lives Matter, They'll respond, Well, all lives matter. And we've talked about the illustration of if my house was burning down and I said, my house matters. And then everyone else on the neighborhood said, well, my house matters too. Be like, yeah, but yours is not the one burning Burning. right now. So it's a way to step into the hurt and say... We, I want to stand with you in this, bear your burden because yes. you're hurting. Yes. And, um, and I like the way you put that, Adam, step into the hurt. Yeah. So isn't that a beautiful, rather than people being defensive
1: about the totally. statement, how about let's step in to where people are and say, I really feel yeah. what you're going through.
0: You know, I was thinking this week about how, um, the civil rights movement in the 1960s, it was so powered by the gospel. Mm-hmm. It was, in many ways, it was the church there praying. And mm-hmm. the, you, you, mm-hmm. you hear the stories of how Martin Luther King Jr. would prepare people every time mm-hmm. they would go out to protest. Mm-hmm. They had really strict rules about, mm-hmm. we want to honor Jesus and, and our behavior. and 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 so it was the church stepping into that moment. Mm-hmm. And... What's different today is that for some reason, the church has stepped out Mm -hmm. and created this vacuum. Why would we be surprised that a political movement would spring up with non-Christian values? Because we've created a vacuum by not saying the thing that Jesus would be saying, Jesus is saying right Right. now. Um, So how critical to remember that.
1: Yeah. No, good point. Well stated.
0: um, You've shared a little bit about some of your experiences with the police and, um, you know, with the protests that are happening, a lot of that has been around this issue of reforming our policing in our country. And I know that that's another really controversial one. And, um, when we have people in our church who have have children who work for the police department, or rel- or they know people really well, so it's very controversial. And and I even uh, heard you one time on a panel around um, first responders and police, and it, you 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 were so articulate. But how have you thought about that? How how should Christians think about policing and police reform? Is there a way to say? Look, not all policemen, obviously many policemen are, are, are really good people, but there, but there are some things we need to address with yeah. policing. How have you thought about that or talked about that? You know, the police structure, particularly in America, is an outgrowth,
1: a larger result, consequence even, of the, of the issues of the heart that are in our culture. So if racism is there, the police are the ones that manifest it if people walk down the street and see a black person, uh, Pastor E.D. Mondanay, who's a friend of mine over in Northeast Portland, he's the leader of the local NAACP, he said, and he did a little commercial and he said, when you see me walking down the street, or if you see me in the elevator and I'm a black man, don't look the other way. Mm -hmm. Don't walk on the other side of the street. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to hurt you. And I think sometimes when people are raised in a, in a, in a culture where there's not other people present of other races, yeah. it's very easy to make assumptions about people of another race because they haven't been exposed to them. But if you've been exposed and you had lunch and you see black people on the, and you see a black person on the street, you're not gonna be afraid of the black yeah. person. And I think the police in particular are so important for us to focus on because we are talking about literally, literally life and death situations. Yeah. That people are being killed needlessly and so we definitely need to look at our police department. Totally agree with you, Adam. Most of the police officers, in my opinion, are not evil and corrupt. But there's enough bad apples in the batch that they are causing the good ones to be silent when they need to speak up. When so things there might happen.
0: be even a system there that prevents good reform from happening. Yes. So we need to yes. we need to keep thinking about yes. that.
1: So how do we reform it? Do we defund the police? Absolutely not. Right. We need the police. We need Every police. culture needs a police department. But can we make changes? How about sending out when a person has a mental health person instead of a police officer who can administer deadly force, uh, deadly force, and maybe they don't have a knife or they don't doing something to injure someone. But maybe right. sending a mental health worker out in advance, yeah. try to defuse the situation. Have the yeah. police in the background, and if necessary, they can come to bring attention, but have someone address them. So if you had those additional resources placed in police departments, instead of buying a brand new tank, literally, and I'm, be, yeah. I'm not being facetious, some of them are buying brand new yeah. tanks. There's like a
0: militarized- A military tank. Sent that <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. comes into a situation <laughs> yeah. and spend you know $2 million in that tank, how about hiring five people for right. half the money that are right. mental health workers? So those are the kind of funding issues that people are asking for. Yes, you have some on the far left, or radical, hey, defund them. Take yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, take fifty percent of their budget away, or take one hundred. No, we're not doing that. But how about there's a
0: way down the middle that's yes. biblical and Christian. Yes. yes, we can think about it. Yes. Well, how about bringing some pastors, Adam? There Unless we you go. you and I get involved. Yeah, if I don't night. make it in the ministry, you know, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> no, I love that. It's like we don't. Um, we can have this conversation, and it doesn't have to become super defensive. We can talk exactly. about it and listen and, exactly you know it's really neat because i if there's one thing that I've experienced and I've heard so many people say this it's that it's that um you know with um the with within the the black community, the black community isn't they're not. Um, uniform and how they think about this. There's people all over the spectrum and how right. they're thinking about that's it right. and talking about it. So that, but, but the one thing that is almost universal is the hurt Yes. that's not recent. The yes. only thing that's happened in the last four or five, 10 years is now there's people with phones to yes. capture what's actually yes. happening. Yes. But this hurt which is almost universal in our country, in the black community it goes back decades and decades. Yes. And so yes. for, for especially white Christians to be willing and have the humility to sit and listen and go, yes. I, need to, I need to hear this yes. hurt and I need to reflect and take a posture of humility yes. and say, Let's just yes. talk about this. It doesn't have to get defensive. It yes. can be gentle and instructive and yeah. biblical yes. and Christ-exalted. Yes. And it always should be a two-way conversation.
1: I learn from you. You learn from me. It's not one-sided. Yes, on the issue of how I feel because of the racism that's been extended my way, I can tell you about that. Yeah. But how to solve it and where do we go from here, that has to be a joint solution. Yeah. I can't as a black person say we need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. No. I think we together look at the hurt and say, what can we do together to change this problem? And when we rely and lean on each other, not, and this is in the Christian world. This is in the family of Christ, the family of God. When we do it that way and we really listen to each other, no matter what our political differences are, no matter if I'm a Democrat or Republican, there's ways that, one of the things that was so encouraging for me, a pastor friend of mine called me up and he said, would you come speak to a, uh, one of my white members and he said they are on the far, far political right and they just, they are just having a hard time grappling with the, the he called it the demands that black people want he doesn't get it and he feels like some of their demands are overstated I went over to his house and this pastor was there with me yeah. and we spent an hour and a half, no we spent two hours and the two hours Adam seemed like ten minutes mm-hmm. because he was giving me all these stats. He was hitting me with statistics. He, and, and some statistics example were, more white people are getting killed by police in America. Mm. Okay. And he gave me some other statistics. Um, so I said, okay. And so he was just looking at it from a numbers perspective and I said, yeah, yeah more whites are being killed by police, but per capita, more, poli- more black people are being, that are unarmed, unarmed are being killed. So anyhow, so we were talking about this and
0: we yeah. just don't experience the fear or the hurt or the like. In my life, I have never one time. I'm only afraid of police when I'm speeding because I know I'm actually breaking right, the right, law, right, right, right. <laughs> which Most never happens. Yeah. Okay, Riverways, yeah. it never yeah. happens. Yeah. But if it did, <laughs> but I, I, it would, it would never dawn on me to be afraid of the police because of the color of my skin. I, I wouldn't. I don't even right. know what that would right. feel like. Right. And yet. Almost every, every single brother that I have talked to of color has, says, I know that experience right. of hurt right. and fear. And so it's right. it's real.
1: And that was the powerful thing that I shared with this white yeah. brother was after the two hours, he said, I hadn't heard it that way before. Wow. So it wasn't like I had to convince him. It was that he was listening a and out of it, he yeah. grew and then he's going to do it again. And we're having another follow-up conversation about it. So I think when we can really hear each other yeah. and allow the Holy Spirit to open up our ears so we
0: hear powerful wow. things
1: happen. And then we can then come with some joint solutions.
0: Mm. So let's end with hope because we're pastors mm-hmm. and we believe in mm-hmm. hope. We believe that Jesus is on the throne. And mm-hmm. What would you share just with Riverwest Church, a word of exhortation or encouragement with some hope as we continue to lean into this conversation? How would you encourage the people You know, I think about John
1: 15 where Jesus says, abide in me. You know, he said, as you abide, remain in me, and my word remains in me, you're going to bear fruit. And so I think as we really allow the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to abide in our hearts, as we think about the subject of race, and so that we then can lower our barriers, lower our shields, lower our defenses, and we can say, I want to be a good listener. Yeah. And then Holy Spirit, lead me on how to connect with a person of another color. Because Jesus, you are abiding in me, and you've given me a command to go and make disciples. Amen. So I got to make a—Jesus is telling me to go minister to a person who's a far-left Democrat. And as a black person, Jesus is telling me, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm far left, but as a black person, Jesus is saying, telling me to go and minister to a person who's on the far right politically yeah. that may even be a racist. And Jesus is commanding me to love them. So what can we do to allow the presence of Christ to be first place, to reveal the areas of my heart that are wrong, just flat out wrong in the issues of race. Some of the jokes that I've made, some of the silence that I've had when my family members who are saying things that are negative about a person of another race uh, or saying negative things about women or saying negative things about people who are gay or saying negative things about people who are homeless. And because I've been silent, I think the Holy Spirit is saying now it's time for us to speak speak up and to learn and to have conversations and to grow and to admit when we're wrong. And ask us to really be, once again, positioned to make a difference on this subject. Because the world can't do it yeah. like a Christ follower can.
0: Amen. We're tapped, into, we're tapped into that root of Jesus Christ, his joy, his power, his grace. Mm-hmm. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. Let's do this again sometime. Anytime. Come, come preach <laughs> Anytime. at the church. <laughs> Anytime. Will you say a prayer for River West Church? Yes. Yes. Father God, thank I you, thank David. you
1: for this. A conversation with Adam, I thank you for River West. I ask that you'd bless every person that's listening to this recording, that your Holy Spirit would touch them, that we would allow your presence to grow us in the things of God, to mature us in the things of God, to walk in the path of righteousness and to walk in the path of justice. Father, we think of that wonderful word in Micah 6:8, which you've called us to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. So we make that commitment to do so. Bless this church in their relationships with each other, in their own family relationships, and in their relationships with other people in the world that you're calling them to do so. We thank you for this time. Bless my pastor friend Adam. Amen. We pray this in the name of the
0: Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, Amen. Amen. Amen.